Welcome to Growth Untold, the podcast where we dive into thoughtful conversations and insightful discussions with world-class people, all with the aim of inspiring, educating, and empowering our listeners. We are thrilled to have you here with us on this exciting journey to explore the diverse stories and the ideas that have the power to shape the world for the better. Welcome to Growth Untold, the podcast. Today, we are joined by a sports business industry elite who has worked across some of the biggest sports leagues in the world, including the NBA, NFL, MLB, and NHL. With almost two decades of experience under her belt, she oversees a multi-million dollar operation, currently managing the organization's foundational and entrepreneurial business units, including ticketing, marketing, technology, social responsibility, and so much more. In 2021, she was named Adweek's most powerful woman in sports. And in 2022, she was named and awarded Sports Business Journal Game Changer. Most recently, in 2023, she was honored in the Outsports Power 100, which celebrates the most powerful and influential LGBTQ people in sports. And it doesn't just stop there. Raven has also written and published her first book called More Than Representation, The Cheat Codes to Your Own Seat at the Table. Folks, today you're in for a treat. Join us in welcoming the remarkable Raven Jemison. Yeah, welcome to the show, Raven. Super excited to be talking to you. We're two basketball buffs, by the way. So we're that enough is to be excited to talk to you. And also you see me wearing my, my Raptors jersey. So, you know, we got to bring it. No question. I'm gonna forgive. I'm gonna forgive the Raptors jersey for now, and just say thank you for supporting the NBA. How about that? That's that's great. We we each have one championship, so I think we're 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 all right. We're all right right now. All right, champions. We will take. Yes. So so one thing we typically like to do, and there's there's so many things that we'd like to talk about from your experience in the industry, from your book, which is incredible, incredible. By the way, like there's so many books out there that cover the DEI space and talks about it, but you provide a practical guidebook to help people navigate to that industry. So I just want to give you a kudos right off the cuff for that. Thank uh, you. Thank yeah. you, Alex. Um, but, uh, you know, we like to typically kick this off by talking about early life, right? The, you know, the, the roots and how you grew up. So we'd like to start from just from the early days, starting your career in sports. You know, we know you studied uh, exercise science at Auburn. Um, and then you jump into your first sales gig with the, with the Panthers. So just walk us through that, that evolution. Where did this love, this passion for sports come from? Yeah. Um, so I am a type a minus now, but definitely type A. I like to control (laughs) as much as I can. Um, and that started at an early age. So I played sports all throughout my youth, gymnastics, basketball, track, Um, when I get to college, obviously I have to start thinking about real life, um, because I'm five, three and a half on a really good day, um, (laughs) five, four on an excellent day, but I always say I have five, 10 energy. (laughs) And so I knew that my career in sports was over and that I needed to find a real job. Now, a real job when you have my parents who did not complete college, but wanted me to get an education. They say, doctor, lawyer, teacher, engineer, get something that you're going to get a job in. So I picked an optometrist because okay. I was good in math and science. Doctor sounded cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I could do it for the next 50 years and we'd be good. Now, given that sports background that I had playing, um, of course, and I love watching sports, I felt a tug 
um, to pull me to sports. I didn't know what that meant because this was a course before your LinkedIn. This was before teamwork online. So exposure, I did not have. Um, so I actually got accepted into optometry school. And where'd you go to uh, school, Raven? Like growing up? I graduated up. from Auburn University with the, uh, a bachelor's and a master's degree um, in five years because, again, my type A minus type A um, kind of feeling was that, all right, let me get a degree that I could get a job in now, which exercise science was plenty, it was it was fine, um, but I could get a job right away. I also did my prereqs for optometry school, so that was my plan B. Right. And now we have a plan C all of a sudden because I wanted to work in sports. So I asked my parents if I could defer um, <laughs> optometry school. They said, sure, thinking, yeah, she's not going to get a job. This is more like her gap year. Right. Um, and May, before I was to matriculate um, to optometry school in August, I got a job in sports. Florida Panthers, bottom of the barrel, inside sales, $7.25 an hour, Wow, selling tickets. Yeah. Um, now, in Alabama, now you guys, Canada, so <laughs> hockey is natural, yeah. right? Not so much when you're from Alabama where college football is king, football is king. Yeah. Um, so I, I packed my bags and I moved to South Florida and, and the rest is kind of history. So that's where I started. Yeah. Wow. That's that's uh, that's amazing. That's uh, just the kind of the course correct and, and, and where you navigated. Can you walk us through how was that experience working for your first sports organization? It must have been yeah. kind of like a mom I made it moment like. I'm here. I'm in. I'm in the door. I'm in the industry. Was it was it nerve wracking? Like just, just and the little in. brother sports industry too, like you said, because it's you. You had two other major league teams in Florida, uh, maybe more, right? Because there's a couple of uh, there's is there a couple of hockey teams? No, just there one. Is. Yeah, just there's one. one. There's one. Tampa there's Bay. Two in, Tampa there's two Bay. in Florida. There's two. See, I told you, Tampa Bay. Yeah. Come on, Alex. Um, so yeah, talk talk to us about that. How did it feel? And and how did you go from selling tickets, making seven dollars and twenty five cents an hour, to where you are today? Yeah, that grind has always been in me, though, right? Like no matter where you start, you always feel like it's just the beginning, right? So selling tickets had never sold a ticket in my life, but I'd sold before, um, and it kind of came naturally because I'm a relationship builder. Um, I listen more than I speak. So the sales piece kind of came natural. I will say though, I was the happiest I think I'd ever been making $7 and 25 cents an hour. Now, keep in mind, my trajectory was a doctor, right? With a master's degree. So I have a master's degree making minimum wage, but I actually had to sell to eat, right? Like you can't live in Miami on minimum wage. So that grind and that hustle that kind of lived in me just manifested itself into a successful sales career. And then I worked my way up in leadership with the Florida Panthers. I kind of capped out with the Florida Panthers and the Pittsburgh Pirates had an opportunity for me to expand my leadership. Um, and I made the jump. How high Florida. did you get with the Panthers from, from selling tickets? How high did you get? Yeah, so I was overseeing the department that renewed season tickets and upsold season tickets. So okay. if you have a season ticket, you have a rep or someone that you work with to handle your service and maybe even talk you into adding some things to your portfolio. So um, if you want to buy additional tickets, the seats next to you, if you want to buy group tickets. So I was leading that team. Right. So you um, got as high as you possibly could really in that department. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the beauty of sports is if you do a good job, 
and you have good leaders, they support you when they know that you're capped where you are. And so that's exactly what happened with the Florida Panthers. I had a good conversation with my then boss and said, I'm I'm ready to do more and I know it's not gonna happen here. So when the Pittsburgh Pirates opportunity came, it was just a natural progression. Another thing about sports, very small world. So my new boss at the Pirates, who would be my boss, knew my current boss. So they had a great conversation about me apparently and within I don't know, maybe six weeks or so, I was moving to Pittsburgh. Now, Pittsburgh, if you know during that time, this was 2009 to 2010, Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Pirates were the worst professional franchise in North American history. And by that, I mean, my first year there was our 17th straight losing season. Yeah, so right after a recession. That's, that's right. Um, so talk about needing to kind of tap into that sales acumen. It's really hard to sell a a team that's not winning, but I embraced it and I was super excited to be with this new leadership team that they had just assembled and, um, oversaw again, the retention team there, but then also took on group sales. And so for my four years there, we finally broke the streak 21 straight losing seasons, but we break the streak in 2013, uh, go to the wild card playoff, beat the Cincinnati Reds. It was an amazing time. Tapped out there. There was a new stadium project in San Francisco, the 49ers, another iconic franchise. Um, and Levi Stadium was being built and I wanted to be a part of a new stadium project. So made a lateral move to oversee the retention team and the the premium team for the San Francisco 49ers, built the stadium. It was awesome. It probably took 15 years off my life. A lot of this gray hair you see is partly because of that. Um, Yeah, different market right now. You're going to like a premier market, a premier sports market, California, San Francisco. It's uh, it's definitely a jump for sure. No question. And it was a jump, but it was also something that was interesting because you have this iconic franchise that had been playing in this iconic venue, Candlestick Park, that was now making the move to Levi Stadium, which it it was awesome. I wouldn't trade it for the world. I had a great team that I was working with there. Um, So I did that for two years, completed the new stadium project, and then the NBA League office came. So Teambo, Team Marketing and Business Operations, is the in-house consulting group for the NBA. So think about consulting across your business operations for the NBA, the G League, the WNBA, and the NBA 2K League. Wow. Um, so, you know, your traditional consultancies, Bain, McKinsey, BCG, um, we had that in-house. And what year was this, Raven? This was 2015 was my first year with the NBA. So the NBA, yeah, I mean, listen, I'm a big NBA fan and the mm-hmm. NBA has always been an incredible league. I think the best league in sports. But at that time, it's it's starting to skyrocket, the NBA. Yes. It's starting to go international. More people are trying to starting to get in the NBA. It's really like giving the NFL, I don't want to say a run for its money because it's different, but it's really becoming like a, the premium American sports league at this time. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would say like premier American sports league, but the global impact as far as going into China, you know, obviously I work currently for the Bucks and we have Giannis, who is an iconic global superstar. And when I tell you global, I mean, he goes anywhere outside of America, you know exactly who Giannis is. But mm. yeah, that was the beginning of turning from just a domestic league mm. to actually saying, here's how we can be global. Um, so I did that for six years, 
before coming over here to the Milwaukee Bucks um, in February 21. That's incredible. Amazing. And tell us what you do at the Milwaukee Bucks now. Yeah. So I oversee all your foundational business units. So think about ticketing, marketing, our G League team um, reports up under me, corporate social responsibility, business strategy, strategy and analytics, tech and innovation. Um, I'm sure I'm missing, but essentially think about everything on the business side that makes a team run um, that reports up through me. Um, And I've been doing it for two and a half years and it's a, it's an amazing experience. And your official title? Executive Vice President of Business Operations. There we go. That's what I wanted to get to because the podcast is so much about inspiring people, especially minorities, minority groups, um, to to pursue their passions and like just continue to work hard. So you went from making minimum wage, and yes, you worked your butt off. You worked for a long time, but you got to you know a EVP position with the one of the best nba teams um and one of the best basketball teams in the world so that is so incredibly inspiring to see you do that and now i don't want to jump the gun alex but doing all that as a minority as a member of the lgbtq community how what challenge what sort of specific challenges did you see and how have you seen the challenges maybe ease up a little bit? Because I'm sure when you started, that was a different world than now. Oh, yeah. I mean, challenges. I'm not sure we have enough time in this conversation (laughs) to talk about the challenges, but I'll hit on a couple, which kind of led me to writing this book. Um, The first piece was being myself. The challenge of coming into, again, and I came up through a really, I won't say strict, but religious household. Um, And I leave Alabama go to Miami. Um, and Miami was awesome. Like the, the exposure I had to, you know, all kind of things was great. But during that time I was trying to find who I was, like I was in my first professional job and I'm wearing the like professional outfit, right? Like the blouse and the heels and all the things. And it was a challenge. And I'll say, this is the first one that really made me feel like I got to figure out who I really want to be. Now, I didn't immediately say, oh, this is how I want to be because I don't want to be that. But the journey started there because I was uncomfortable. I didn't want to pretend to be someone that I wasn't, especially as I was starting to get through leadership. Um, When you're leading a team, you quickly understand that you can't paint everybody with a broad brush. They're all different people. They all bring different skills to the table. And if I'm not clear in who I am and how I want to be and present myself at work? How can I be the leader that they need me to be authentically? So the first challenge was really trying to understand who I was, not only internally and who I wanted to present myself to be at work, but also what kind of leader I wanted to be. And that was a big challenge. It took me years, quite frankly, um, to really come to terms. I was in the closet when I was at the Florida Panthers, like all the way, like, in the back corner behind like your winter clothes closet. Um, and it was uncomfortable. The moment I got to to Pittsburgh, um, I felt, and I talk about this in the book too, I was outed by someone, but it turned out to be the best thing for me, which I would never recommend outing someone. So let that be the message here. Um, but it turned out to be the spark that I needed to really embrace who I was right. and say, okay, 
and you'll hear me say this often in any interview, any conversation I have, I do believe that my uniqueness is my superpower. And I try to tell everybody um, who will listen, especially those who are in marginalized communities to be like, you have to figure out what makes you the thing that they need or the, the thing that the company needs such that you can tap into that and really hone into that, especially um, when other challenges come your way. So that first challenge was just really trying to understand who I was, um, because if I wasn't careful, I felt like the industry or corporate America was going to tell me who I needed to be. Right. And um, I imagine as growing up in a, a Christian, I'm assuming Christian household, Christian. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm Christian as well, Orthodox Christian. So I know what it can be like. Was mm -hmm. that difficult coming out to, to, to that community as well and your parents or? Oh, yeah. Very difficult. Um, the first time I tried to do it, I um, I wrote everything down because, again, type A. Type like A. I want to control everything that I say because I don't want it to just be like, hey, mom, I'm gay. Um, and I wrote it and I read it to my mom sitting on my couch in my apartment. And when I looked up, tears. Like, there were so many tears. I don't even think she could come up with words. Um, and in that moment, yeah, I was hurt, but I think being a true Leo, not wanting to disappoint my mom, my first thing was to console my mom. Like, I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, she, she didn't say much. She got in the car and she drove. She just said, I love you and drove away. Um, that being said, that moment pushed me back in the closet. Um, and it wasn't until I met my now wife um, and I realized just how much her and my mom are alike that I felt like, okay, I'm no longer wanting to hide. I think here's an opportunity for my then girlfriend to meet my mom and maybe there'll be there'll be some type of kinship because they'll see how close and similar they are. And this was probably four or five years later okay. from my original coming out when they met each other. I don't know what happened and I haven't really talked to my mom about what happened in those four or five years for her to come to terms with the fact that um, that I was gay but it was beautiful. Like they met each other, they embraced, and now they talk on the phone all the time when I'm not in the room, like when I'm not around. So they have the best relationship. That's beautiful. But yeah, yeah and, no, and, I'm super, super and I imagine, you know, cause I'm an actor as well. So I always try to like put myself in other people's shoes, but I imagine, you know, some of that, some of those tears might've been, you know, from a mom's perspective, like guilt that she didn't know herself or that, you know, she didn't know earlier, didn't make you feel comfortable enough to tell her earlier. Like, I'm sure it wasn't all like pushing you away. It was just inner stuff too. Yeah, no question, not not a question. Cause my mom, if you ever meet her, I call her a saint because she is so giving um, and she thinks about others so much. Um, I, I also equate it to, you know, she's seeing her daughter who is, you know, a black woman trying to climb the ladder, trying to find her way in the world. And she's thinking, oh my gosh, she's now got this other tag on her. It's going to be that much more challenging. And I think she was probably just thinking like, oh, you want to add another burden. You want to add another thing for people to have to try to understand about you. Um, so I think there was some of that too, but I absolutely, um, it was a moment that we worked through together. And today it's, we have the best relationship. She, she honestly is my best friend. That's beautiful. That's amazing to hear just the story of, you know, your conversation, opening up to your mom and, and, and really, you know, going through and making her understand, right. Your yeah. world. And, um, you said something there about her being so supportive and that's just the way she is. 
and that was so prevalent in the way you wrote your book. And I think this is a nice, a nice segue because this book that you created, it's, it's beautifully written. It, it makes us feel like there's a lot of elements of relatability. Uh, you shared a lot about of your inner dialogue, which yeah. many people can relate to. Mina's had that and I were like the two of the only visibly ethnic people growing up here in Canada where, well, Mina's in Vegas now, but, uh, but like I, it, it was emotional reading that Raven, um, just hearing your stories, hearing like, holy crap, like she's an executive vice president of the Milwaukee Bucks and she shared these experiences. So I just feel like you wrote this book in a way that everybody is feeling heard. And then you gave them the blueprint and it's beautiful. And so I want to start switching gears here. And if, uh, if we can put the, the book up on the screen, this, this incredible book that you created, I'd love to give some time to the podcast to talk about it and, uh, and talk about, you know, one of the main things is supporting all voices as a black queer woman. Uh, you know, you've stated, um, you feel a sense of responsibility to inspire marginalized communities. Um, you know, once you get your title or you get the platform, then it's your time to shine and support other folks just like mina's created eda which is ethnically diverse artists association you created this incredible book um walk us through maybe your current role at milwaukee bucks some of the things that you're doing consciously to help people make feel like they deserve a seat at the table yeah it's a great question alex and thank you so much for your kind words it, it is very scary i'm not gonna lie i'm very private um and to your point about being at this level and sharing a lot of things that I think are going to surprise some people, especially those who have been on the journey with me, not knowing what I was going through. Um, so thank you for, for your kind words. I would say that the first piece sitting at this seat, sitting in this seat, it opens up a lot of opportunity for you to touch and be able to hear some of the challenges that people who look like me or love like me um, are having. I will back up a little bit though and say, even before I got this particular seat, some people just watching me ascend have reached out to be like, what are you doing and how, you know, I'd love to hear more about how the things that are working for you can work for me. And I just want to, you know, give your, before I tap into what I'm doing now, give your listeners and uh, viewers a little bit of like nudge that even if you don't have the platform, even if you don't have the C-level title, you can always mentor and you can always reach back. Um, to someone who might be watching you from afar, um, because I was not clear that people were doing that until they actually started saying that to me. And I wished I would have started mentoring um, at this level that I'm doing now earlier. But the things that I'm doing now, honestly, is just trying to speak up and be the representative such that it makes it a little bit easier for those who come up behind me or beside me to be able to speak loudly and proudly about who they are. Um, at the Bucks, we have um, employee resource groups, whether it's our women's um, ERG, which we call um, employee resource groups, our black ERG, our LGBTQ ERG. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting that they've all asked me to do different things because they see me as the representative of all of the sitting at the intersectionality. I'm very blessed to be able to really work with and mentor some of the folks that are sitting within our offices and they see how I carry myself and it gives them confidence to be able to do the same. For example, it's something small, but I love sneakers, um, obsessed with sneakers. I'm not a sneaker head, I'm a sneaker enthusiast, and we can talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I 
when I came to the Bucks, and it, it seems like something small, but it's come become something bigger. When I came to the Bucks, I asked Peter, and we didn't have employees in the building because it was during COVID. And I said, you know, Peter, our president, what's our dress code? Like, how how should we show up at work? And he's like, oh, business casual. And then he kind of left it at that. And I was like, well, what do you think about as long as someone is in Bucks gear and they're presentable? During the week when we're in our offices, we can dress how we feel as long as it's professional. Um, he's like, yeah, let's see how it goes. And so what I've seen is people are more comfortable coming to work because they can express themselves in ways that they could not have, right? So when you talk about um, the professional outfit that I had to wear when I was starting in sports, it was very uncomfortable for me. I wasn't, I didn't love it. I didn't love wearing, you know, heels, even though I loved the height that it gave me. Um, <laughs> it it, I wasn't comfortable and I felt, you know, myself tugging on my blouse and like thinking about that other than thinking about the work. And now people come to work and they're proudly themselves. They express themselves. We talk about sneakers. There's just a connection that we have that a lot of C-level executives don't really have with their teammates because it is kind of this divide and how we present ourselves at work. So that's something small, but it's been something bigger um, as we've talked about the culture that we want to have here at the Bucks where people feel included. Um, they belong, but they also can talk about why they feel that way. Nice. And Caden, just before you start, Caden, can we throw up the uh, the uh, book there on the screen? Yeah. There it is. There yeah. it is. More than representation. The cheat codes own you. That's incredible, by the way. You look, like, you. you look like you're about to dunk on, uh, who should we say? On Giannis. I can't on say Giannis. Oh. <laughs> sure. Sure. No, you but know, I what like you don't see what you don't see are like the ten people that are getting me up there. But yeah, yeah, I, I love, yeah. I love and I like the uh, you know like the old school kind of game console, uh, yeah, you know design of it as well. Yeah, it's it's amazing. The title's amazing too, right? I think I know a lot of thought went into that. Um, I want to talk just really quickly here about there was an only one quote, um, and I want to read it read it back to you because Mina and I really dived into this. Uh, we re reread your book a couple of times. Um, but if I can reread this, uh, it's, uh, I want you to talk about this. So you wrote, as my career blossomed with stints at the NFL, San Francisco 49ers and NBA leagues office, I continued to be the only one. I was the only black person, the only queer person and, or the only woman in leadership. I took the responsibility seriously. Walk us through your approach to being the only person in the room. How did that yeah. Right. Because as you, you know, you feel isolated, such an isolating experience. Like, I'd love to see, and I'd love that you see this as an opportunity, right? Like, you know, I'm going to own this. I'm going to help the next person that looks like me, you know, feel that they got a seat at the table, right? Um, and you see this as a responsibility as opposed to a hurdle. But at first, did you see it as a hurdle? I'm sure, like, you know, when you really. Not, okay. I, 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 well, did I see it as a hurdle? Yes. But okay. I will say, my journey from being a gymnast and being the only one prepared me for this moment, prepared me to be in these spaces. I didn't know it at the time. So yes, back then when I was a gymnast and you you probably read this in the book, when I was trying to find the music for my first optional routine and yeah. all I had to pick from was like Paula Abdul and like these <laughs> artists that were way above my like 11 year old brain, right? Um, so being the only one in the struggles that I went through at that time did prepare me for this. And again, going through AP classes in high school, 
was the only um, black person in several of my AP classes. Auburn University, a predominantly white institution where at the time there was only 4% minority and that's all the minorities, 4%, right? Wow. So yes, I do see it as a hurdle sometimes, but the title of the book is has two meetings, right? So more than representation, I do feel it is my duty um, and it is my responsibility that when I'm sitting in the seat, that if you see me, you see that I, one, am professional and I do a killer job at my job, but I'm also representing for you, person in X community that I, you know, I sit at the intersection of, it is possible for you to do this and do it in the way that you see that you can do it versus how someone else sees that you can do it or someone else is telling you you can do it. So that's the first meaning. The second meaning of more than representation is I want to let those who don't look or love like me know that I am more than the box that you're putting me in. I am more than a gay woman sitting at the table. I'm more than a black woman sitting at the table. And that's why I specifically talk about certain things in the book that get you to that point where you feel like, oh, well, whoever I'm showing up as, I am confident in the person that I'm showing showing up as. And it's your problem, not mine that you see me as someone that is different and not someone that can bring and add value to your organization. That's so, amazing. Yeah. We, we, um, another, uh, the president of the Hudson's Bay company, um, uh, Sophie, we sat with her and she said something almost identical. She said, you know, it, people, if people have issues with who I am, that, those are their issues. They're not mine. It's not my problem that you have an issue with me being black or, you know, Egyptian or whatever it is. That's your problem, not mine. And that's something that I've really been trying to understand. Um, you know, I'm 32 now. And so I'm really trying to understand these complex dynamics because it's it's true. It's true that I can no longer spend my life and my time worrying about how I'm gonna make that person feel comfortable about who I am. I mean, that's not a, a productive way to spend energy. <laughs> it is It is not. And what you'll end up doing when you spend that energy is that energy you're giving someone else, someone else, you're not giving it to yourself. And so you're getting further and further away from finding, again, that superpower, that uniqueness that is you such that when you enter a room, people know exactly what you're bringing to the table because it is Raven, it is Mina, it is Alex coming into that room, not someone else, right? So um, I, I echo that. And I wanna, again, be clear, this didn't happen overnight. And that's part of the reason why I wrote this book is it's not, you don't have to read it in chronological order, but the cheat codes are specific in chronological order because to me, that's how I got to be able to play the game in a way that was comfortable for me. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's something that did not happen overnight, but I'm super excited that it happened soon enough for me able to for me to be able to enjoy the seat that I'm sitting in now. Yeah. And and that's a that's a great segue there, Raven, because we would love to double click on the cheat codes that, okay. that you wrote. And they're they're amazing. Um, like uh, I feel like every single one of them spoke to me. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, like the first one, know yourself to know your worth. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that people on the surface level are like, oh, yeah, of course, like I got to understand who I am. But, you know, you I think you are really challenging people. And I don't want to make an assumption because I'd love to hear your interpretation or, you know, the way you explain this in the book is being unapologetically authentic and showing up yeah. as yourself in the rooms that you're given. Right. What, Absolutely. What does that mean to you? What is 
like this uh, cheat code one, knowing yourself to know your worth. Yeah, it's 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 what I mentioned to get to this this question that you guys are asking now. All the things that allow me to sit and and speak up for others is because I had to do that work to start. Um, for me to add value to any company I was going to work for, any relationship I was going to be in, I realized that I was making stuff up as I was going, and that was not healthy for me. Um, whether it was being in the closet, whether it was, you know, me and again want to clarify that the code switching piece still happens today. Like for for your audience, code switching is something where you essentially exist in these spaces and you have to present yourself a certain way to be able to get a point across, right? Like I can't come in um, and speak African-American vernacular English, for example, when I'm in a, a boardroom. So there are certain ways that you have to present yourself, but you, that doesn't mean you have to be fake. That just means that you're playing the game in a way such that people are trying, you're trying to remove as many buffers from people to hear your point that you're actually making. Um, but I will say, I could not do any of the other cheat codes. I could not learn anything else until I knew who I was. And mm. I did not want to be in an industry. I did not want to, I could go back to being an eye doctor at any time, right? Like I knew that that was always something for me and I could be whatever kind of eye doctor I wanted to, as long as I was within the the rules of, you know, being eye doctor. But I knew that if I wanted to be in this particular space, that I had to do the work um, to come to work as as authentically myself as I could. Um, and still, it, it's still a challenge to yeah. be clear. It's still hard sometimes when I'm sitting in the room and no one looks like me or I'm the most senior person in the room and a partner or a vendor is looking at everybody else that looks like them, expecting them to make the decision. And I'm the person that's making the decision. Like that stuff happens all the time. I want to be clear that that just because I have all these things that I've kind of put together in a book doesn't mean that it doesn't happen to me anymore. What does happen though, when we start talking about imposter syndrome, which is to me something that is a feeder off of these things around knowing yourself to know your worth. I used to sit in a room for an hour meeting and imposter syndrome would manifest itself that entire hour, for example. Whereas when I did the work to really understand what I brought to the table, who I was, how I wanted to present myself, now that window has dwindled. So in an hour meeting, it might just be the first 30 minutes, or it might just be the first 10 minutes mm -hmm. or the first five minutes, right? So the whole purpose of this is just get comfortable with who you are, because the truth is they're either going to like it or gonna love it or they won't. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and sorry, Mina, I'm monopolizing this conversation. No, no, I was, go ahead, man. Go I, ahead. I was telling Mina, and for everybody listening, I was I was really nervous before this uh, this interview with you because you've accomplished so much, Raven, and you're somebody I look up to oh. in your career. So, um, but uh, I wanted to talk about something that was interesting that you 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 spoke about just knowing yourself. But it's something that's pretty funny that uh, you you mentioned was you you basically are an introvert at heart but you're an extrovert to pay the bills. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and I feel that way too, yeah. <laughs> I, I love that. How, so any advice or your approach to this, but how how are you able to to successfully flip the switch for you to yeah. just extrovert mode, let's go baby? Like Yeah, <laughs> so we call that being an ambivert, right? So yeah. you shift based on what you, what you need to be doing. 
I'm very blessed to have a wife that gives me the time to like get into the house, maybe not speak for the first 30 minutes, decompress, and then I can become my introverted self. And she loves that about me. Um, so how you do it is you just got to figure out how it works for you. Like I'll never be someone that wants all the attention on me. I will never be a social butterfly that goes into a meeting or a networking event and commands the room in a way that everybody's got to shake my hand, right? Or everybody needs to speak to me, but I can figure out what I need to be doing in that room such that people remember when they spoke to me, right? But that comes with time um, for a long time, especially in sales. I was pretty good at sales, not because I was an extrovert, but, and I said this earlier to start the podcast, I was really good at listening because I didn't want to talk, right? I wanted you to tell me everything that you needed in your season ticket package, in your group ticket package, and then I can pick up on the keywords and deliver a product to you such that you would want to buy it. And I would build a relationship with you because we trusted each other. So um, I think a lot of people are ambiverts. We just don't call it that. Um, but I'd much rather be on the couch watching Netflix, <laughs> having a glass of wine and, and, yeah. and not talking to be clear. I can't wait to do that tonight. Actually, That's what <laughs> yeah. I'm, that's See what, what I'm, I'm look, that's what I'm looking forward to. And you're an actor. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's the same with me. I, I think I spent so much energy, obviously, um, acting and doing, you know, performance, uh, related work that um yeah when i get home i just want to i'm like a turtle i just want to get back into my shell that's where i find comfort um so i we don't have much time left i want to i want to do two things i want to go through uh, some of the the rest of these cheat codes um but i want you to pick one that you just feel inspired to to expand on a little bit for our listeners so um some of them in your book are find your people uh, another one, pause, reflect, and reinvest. Another one, understand that politics isn't only for politicians. And another, collect advocates. Maybe mm -hmm. choose one of those that, that you want to expand on a little bit. Oh, just one. I, I will say the one that was hardest for me, but the one that to, to me is has just accelerated my growth as an individual is the pause, reflect, and reinvest. So we've talked numerous times about me being a type A. My brain never stops working, ever. Whether it's on a project, on a job, what I gotta do for the house, what, it just never stops. And I write about this in the book. There came a point where I was gonna have to make a decision. Either I chose to just go right off into the deep end and continue that path, which probably would shorten my career significantly, or choose myself. And so when I talk about the time that I gave up the all-star game in Cleveland as the first, this was my first all-star game sitting in this seat, which if you know anything about the NBA, that is where you go to meet, to network, to hang out with partners, to just develop those relationships um, that last a lifetime in sports. And I gave that up because coming out of COVID and starting this new job and all the pressures and all the ills of being myself, being the only one, all that I had repressed, to be honest. And I hit a point. I won't call it a, a, a nervous breakdown. I won't. It was just a breakdown. Like I just hit a moment where I said to myself, if I don't figure this out, I'm going to be in trouble. Um, and so the work that I did that weekend in South Haven, Michigan, 
watching Lake Michigan just kind of move about as it's snow capped in February of 2022 was the moment that allowed me to say to myself, it is okay to one, not be perfect. It is okay not to have all the answers. It is okay if you today did not represent in the best possible way for LGBTQ+, for Black women, for women, because I was putting a lot of that burden on myself. So to, to answer your question a little bit from earlier, Alex, sometimes it is a burden to feel like you have to carry the weight of everybody that looks or loves like you. Um, I do think it's an honor most of the time, but at that particular point, it had reached a fever pitch. So that's my favorite cheat code because it has accelerated my growth such that my second act is going to be that much better than it would have if I didn't take that moment for myself. Yeah, I would I would say um, just pause, reflect, reinvest, right? That being your favorite cheat code. But I, I want to talk about that exercise really quickly. And I know we're coming up at time, but yeah. um, looking back to look forward exercise, yeah. um, yeah. chef's kiss chef's kiss like that's that's a beautiful exercise because i think the power reflection is one of the most underrated exercises anybody can do for their career just because everybody i think is present focused and then future state focused but nobody's really looking back at the historical state of how far you've come um that's right. and maybe that's through gratitude or just you know supporting yourself and understanding the mistakes that you was made so you can be a better version of yourself but can you just like quickly walk us through this looking back to look forward exercise? Like what, what do you do? Do you write it on a piece of paper? Do you just like get dry erase boards and just go ape shit on that? Yeah. Like what's your, what's your it, method? It really does depend when I first started. So the looking back to look forward exercise, um, this came out of me sitting across from my boss at the Pittsburgh Pirates. He asked me how my year went, you know, your performance review, you, you talk about how your year goes and everything was the attention on my team that I was leading because I was so proud. And my job there was to lead this team to hitting their goals. And I walked through all the things like my year was awesome because these folks did this. And then he was like, yes, great. But how did your year go? And what do you need to work on? And what can you do better um, as a leader? And I sat there and I was dumbfounded. I had no answer. And again, type A. You hate not having answers when you're typing, <laughs> right? I don't want to say, I don't know. So I left that meeting and I immediately was like, I never want this feeling again. And I didn't know that it would play such a big part in my life or my career moving forward, but it has allowed me to really transform how I speak about the work that I do, for example. So looking back, so you look back six months and to your point, Alex, you reflect and you say, what did I actually do to whether it's for the job, what did I do to drive value? What were my accomplishments? What did I wish I knew? Such that the future, you're looking forward, you focus on the things that you need to do to get better. So if you said, I wish I knew how to handle more challenging conversations. Okay, well, what are you gonna do in the work in the next six months? Such that you check that off your box. Right, check that box off your, um, your list. So the looking back to look forward is very much a reflection but it's also a prepare yourself to be able to speak succinctly, clearly, and to be able to articulate the value that you add to an organization, to your relationship. I do do it with my relationship. So with my wife, um, again, introverted, hate talking, communication is <laughs> terrible, but I'm getting better. I'm getting better. So there's certain things that I do when I, um, when I do that work with her as well, because I do think it's important. People are going to ask you, what can you do for my company? 
People are going to ask you why I should marry you or people are going to, right? They're going to ask these questions. So you need to have an answer. Um, and it should be an answer that is authentically true to yourself. And if we're not evolving and looking forward to figure out how we actually have to move the needle, uh, we're doing ourselves a disservice. All right. I want to talk um, a little bit before we wrap up about, of course, my favorite league in the world, uh, my favorite sport in the world, uh, the NBA and basketball. I um, I grew up with an immense love of basketball. Uh, I played, you know, all throughout uh, elementary school, high school, um, a little bit into college as well. And I love the NBA now because of my girlfriend. I love the NFL as well because as a Canadian, I never really had a team to cheer for. So I wasn't really I loved the sport, but I didn't have that close connection to it. But I think what sets the NBA apart and correct me if I'm wrong, because, you know, I don't I don't know many people that are are working behind the scenes. What sets the NBA apart really, though, um, I think. Um, Adam Silver has done a great job and, and the commissioners before him have done a great job of, albeit not fast enough, putting minorities in positions of power. Um, you know, people like you, Masai Ujiri, uh, even this year, uh, Adrian Griffin uh, now, you know, being promoted to a head coach. The NBA does an incredible job of that. Um, what's, what's been kind of your biggest takeaway from working with the NBA and what are you most excited about? Cause now we're seeing stuff like the in season tournament. That's new. The NBA is always trying to, to, to better itself, which is, a, mm-hmm. which is amazing for like a massive sports league to do. Like, I don't see other leagues really doing that. Um, so tell me a little bit about that and you have an inside look to it. So I'm excited to hear. Yeah. First I'll say I've been in the NBA longer now than I've been in any of the other leagues. So we're going on almost nine years. Congratulations. Nine years in the NBA, whether at the league office or with a team. And I echo everything you said, Mina, like progressive listens, empowers um, in a way that is definitely unique for sports leagues. So just to be sitting at in this seat and watching it both from within, but as a fan um, is awesome. Cause basketball, um, as you know, from reading the book was, was my high school sport and definitely something that makes me proud to be a part of this league. As far as what I'm looking forward to outside of hopefully another championship, sorry for the Raptors, another championship. <laughs> You gotta, um, you gotta get series. it now with Dame. Dame I mean, That's you right. guys, you gotta get it. Come on, it's Greek That's time. That's right. Other, other than looking forward to another championship, to your point, the end season tournament, the league is always trying to figure out what is that thing? What is that thing that differentiates us from other leagues, of course, but what is that thing that keeps us at the top, um, at the top of people's mind, 365. So the end season tournament, if you know, you know, October, November, December is a tough time for the NBA because you're up against um, college football, you're up against hockey, you're up against NFL. And as we think about how we remain relevant, this in-season tournament, it's a, it's a conversation piece. Nonetheless, whether you like it, you love it. Um, it is something that is that, that thing that the league is saying, okay, how do we start to shift and evolve how we run ourselves as a league? And I'm excited to see how it all pans out and hopefully we'll be in Vegas um, in December for the end season tournament semifinals and finals. But yeah, I, I think just in general, just watching from inside, but also from, a, from the fans perspective, um, I'm always trying to kind of 
delicately balance Ooh, I want to see this as a fan, but knowing that we have a business to run too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that the NBA is at the is always at the forefront of just thinking differently about not only how they run themselves as a business, but also a sports league. Oh, no, that's amazing. And then the last, I want to finish off on probably the most important question of this podcast is: uh, uh, you only had two pairs of shoes to pick from. Um, <laughs> what would be your go tos? You a J fan? You like oh. Blazers? Oh, only one. Okay. Yep. The colorways, it's got to be the right colorway, but I am a, from a style perspective, I'm a Jordan one high Jordan one and high. I'm a Jordan three. Jordan. So as long as the colorway is where it needs to be, either one of those, we're, we're going to be good to go. Raven, I, listen, I think we're best friends right now. Okay. Cause those are <laughs> my right. favorite silhouettes. Raven, uh, like no J threes, like true blue threes, fire red threes, black cement threes. That's literally all I have. Cause I feel like I'm walking on pillows. I need that. Yeah. They're great. They're oh. not too heavy, but they're also like, not that you play basketball in them, but I feel like once you start getting out of like, and you start the Jordan four, five started to become yeah. like a heavy basketball Clunky. shoe. I don't know. I don't know how people actually played basketball in those, but from a yeah. style perspective and a comfort, I definitely agree. Jordan three. Yeah. All okay. the way. All right. That was the most important question. Okay. Awesome. Um, no, but uh, Raven, I think we're at time here, but honestly, really, really, truly appreciate you taking the time. Um, you. you know, I just, again, I just want to, tell everybody who's listening you need to buy this book and i will the the one reason and if i can leave with one reason is because most books have this transactional relationship with the reader you you share knowledge and they read it and they take it away but the way raven has written this book it's like it's like you're jointly problem solving it together you're both on the same sides of the table and the problems on the other side and you feel like she's beside you you feel like raven's beside you kind of like that guardian angel supporting you through that process so you wrote it in such a great way i felt that okay and i'm sure mina does too so. yeah and raven this is my first time meeting you such incredible energy um seriously i think you know obviously every time you walk into a room i think people probably just feel that um so genuine so hardworking. And thank you for giving us your time um, and continued success. I don't know, you know, where your path will lead. I hope you stay in the NBA because it's my favorite league. Um, <laughs> but uh, best of luck and best of luck to the Bucks. I love Giannis. Uh, he's Greek, you know, and uh, that that place has a close place to my heart too. So I love Giannis for so many reasons. The Bucks. Good luck, Damian Lillard. Um, I, it's it, yeah, it's gonna be an entertaining season. For Thank sure. you. Thank you both. Thank you both for your kind words. Thanks, Raven. Thank you, Raven. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Please subscribe, share, and join the journey of growth untold. Don't miss a single nugget. Hit that follow button now on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and Instagram.